Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. We've uh, got lots of things to uh, be grateful for today. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us celebrate. Let's be glad. Let's give God thanks and praise for who He is, that He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for our sins and to redeem us from the pit. Read Psalm 103. It's a powerful psalm. I read it, think about it, pray it out loud all the time. It's uh, a great reminder of God's goodness to us. Um, so we're going to have a number of different kinds of, uh, guest conversations today. Dr. Paul Kengor is going to be joining me. Hopefully we're having a little bit of difficulty connecting with him. And then John Elmore is going to be joining me and he's going to help us kind of with a self diagnostic. If we think that we've got an addiction issue and you can, you know, there are a bunch of addictions out there that you might think I don't suffer with that. That's not a problem for me. We're going to find out a little bit more about that as well. That is uh, be, be coming up in this hour as well. And then the prayer uh, series will continue. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are going to be talking to uh, Raleigh Washington. And we're, we're going to learn a lot today from Raleigh. He is a longtime dear friend of Peter Kapsner. I believe he married Peter and his wife, Hallie. So they go back a long time. And it's always good to go to the well and find out someone who's been following Jesus for decades and what they know and uh, what they've learned about prayer. <clears throat> what I've learned most of the time is people have great humility when it comes to admitting that prayer is something they struggle with. So that is uh, what's on the schedule for today. Um, I always uh, appreciate when I hear from listeners. Thank you so much when you reach out to me. If you've got concerns or questions or anything you want me to discuss, I always like hearing about that. Uh, it's always good for me to learn what's uh going on in your hearts and in your heads, and I am wanting always to bring the great uh, message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all ears. And uh, so we're going to try to take a short break and find out if we can uh, connect to uh, Dr. Paul Kengor, and we'll be right back. Glad to have Dr. Paul Kengar as my guest. Paul's written a whole bunch of books. He is a New York Times bestselling author, which is awfully cool. He's uh, written a lot on uh, President Reagan and the Pope and the fall of communism, uh, 11 Principles of a Reagan Conservative, uh, Dupes, the Communist, and other books. He's a professor of political science and the executive director of the Center for Vision and Values at Grove City College. Paul, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, Bill. Always good to be back. Yeah, how's your uh, how's your New Year going so far? 
Well, pretty lousy. How about <laughs> yours? <laughs> well, it's certainly been interesting, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, the, um, no, I, I guess I got to say that the, the family's great. Good. And, yeah, and, you know, one of my constant prayers is that while the country and culture and world and, you know, much of the church <laughs> just seems to completely disintegrate, mm-hmm. the, you know, to, you know, keep stock in your faith and your family. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, yeah. I feel that kind of inspiration all the time, you know, as if you know, God is saying to me, take care of your family, you know, take take care of your own soul, mm-hmm. you know, take care of the people around you. And so I guess if there's a kind of glimmer of hope among all the chaos, maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe that's it. Yeah. yeah. Well, you've written a number of books. One I think is absolutely fascinating, and maybe it's because it's the one I've, I've read um, and remember the most and understood the easiest, and that was a Pope and a President, John Paul II, Ronald Reagan, and the extraordinary untold story of the 20th century. And it's interesting how these two men uh, found some commonality through their lives and through uh, their assassination attempts uh, about nine days apart, wasn't it? Yeah, and I appreciate you talking about this because, you know, so many, everybody else right now wants to talk about what's, go, you know, what's going on in Washington, D.C. It's so depressing. Not me, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, uh, I did two other talk shows today, and it was just, and it was just complete grief and venting and rage. Yeah. And so, I don't do but, that and, on my show. No, no, I don't. I, and you, you try to keep a, an uplifted message. And Thank you. I appreciate it. Try to edify. You're saying and, all the right things uh, to me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we are, um, we're actually it, amid kind of two anniversaries between uh, John Paul II and Ronald Reagan. It was just the, the centennial or centenary uh, of, of John Paul II's birth last year. So that would have been 2020. And and this year, it'll be next week, actually, in the day that Joe Biden is inaugurated, will be the 40th anniversary of when Ronald Reagan was inaugurated. So it was January 20th, 1981. And, and you know, just to show how even how it's easy to look at things through rose-colored glasses, right? The as, as happy as those times were that a lot of us want to remember him that way, well, just several weeks after Reagan was inaugurated, he was shot, mm-hmm. of all things. And and then just a few weeks after Ronald Reagan was shot, the Pope was shot right smack in the middle of St. Peter's Square. Mm-hmm. So, so just when you think that our times are the worst of times, right? I mean, imagine the the, the President of the United States and and the Pope both being shot and and you know, very nearly bleeding to death. Yeah, I right. Mean, they, yeah, they both needed mass blood transfusions, and you know, they both could have died on the table. They, they could have died en route to the hospital. Um, actually, in Reagan's case, probably not en route to the hospital, but John Paul II, who was pretty close, and they actually had a, the, 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 the priest that was there with John Paul II, a friend of his, who today is a cardinal in the church. His name is Stanislav Jivich. The doctor said to him, he said, hey, um, you know, we have the thing you guys do there in the Catholic Church, <laughs> that sacramental thing about anointing of the sick, uh, you know, last rites, you might want to, you might want to do them here yeah. right now, because this is, you know, this is perilous. And Jeevich said, he said, it was tearing me up inside, but I did it. Wow. And yeah. And yeah. the last words that John Paul II said before he went out, he said, he said to, to the nurse, he said, how could they do it? How could they do it? Meaning they, the, the shooter, 
uh, and, and which is a remarkable thing to say because there had been only one shooter, at least that he could see, a Muslim Turk named Mahmoud Ali Asha. But he had a suspicion that there was more than one man involved. Oh, wow. And, and, and there was. It was, as I go through in that book at great length, it was, it was the Soviets that, that ordered the hit on the Pope. That's crazy. And I remember one of the things that I believe Reagan said when they asked him if he was allergic to anything. He said, well, bullets. <laughs> right. Well, he, he told he told his son Michael when when uh, Michael's told me this a number of times that uh, he said I'll never forget this is a great sign of my dad's sense of humor. When I visited him in the hospital, he he said, "Well, I, I hear this man Hinckley, who um, his 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 parents own a nice business, and he, he said, do you do you think they'd buy me a new suit?' <laughs> right." <laughs> Because he uh, he got a, he had a bullet hole yeah. underneath uh, the left side of his arm, and he also said, in fact, he remarked in his diary, he said, "Getting shot hurts." Oh, getting I can shot imagine. hurts. Yeah, right. I can yeah, imagine. Probably, I can imagine it probably does. Yeah. So Which, Paul, uh, John Paul II said the same thing. Yeah, yeah. That, that it hurts. It hurts. Paul, when I th- when I think of these two leaders, they of course they shared some childhood influence. Both came uh, from a family that had a, a deeply religious parent. Uh, in the Pope's case, it was his dad, and in uh, President Reagan's case, it was his mom. That's right. That's right. And and John Paul II, who would have been Carol Wojtyla, that was his birth name from Poland. And he he lost his mother, and he lost his mother at, at ironically the, the same age when Ronald Reagan almost lost his mother. Wow. And, and and yeah, Reagan's mother almost died from the influenza epidemic of about a hundred years ago. In fact, it would have been. I think it was the winter of 1919-1920, and you talk about a pandemic, right? I mm-hmm. mean, that one was really brutal, really fatal. I mean, we still, even then, you know, all the COVID deaths are are nowhere near the number of deaths in America from the Spanish flu. And uh, by the way, we called it the Spanish flu, and no one, <laughs> no one complained about about uh, smearing the Spanish with this, right? It's always been called the, the Spanish flu. But but yeah, she she almost died, and if if she had died, if Nell Reagan had died, in fact, I dedicated my first book, God and Ronald Reagan, to Nell Reagan, Reagan's mother, mm-hmm. because if if she had died, he would. Um, I'm I'm con- I'm convinced, Bill, he would not have become president of the United States and did the things that he did because his faith was that formative to what he did, and it was his mother who made him a Christian. Who, who who took him to church every week and and the father did not. Father was a kind of a lapsed Catholic. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of debate about this. We're not exactly sure, but but it was the mother who was really on fire for the Lord, disciples of Christ denomination, and she she really made him a Christian. In the case of John Paul II, Carol Wojtyla, he he lost his mom, and then it was a very devout father, so devout that John Paul II would carry around with him for the rest of his life. A, a prayer that his father composed, and he would he would read this prayer every day. Mm-hmm. It, um, it's a it's a really nice prayer too. I included in the book. I should probably go back and try to memorize it. It's a really nice prayer. But uh, but yeah, his his father was crucial, and ironically, he he lost his father in 1941, just just a few weeks before Ronald Reagan lost his. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the difference at that point was Reagan's mother lived, his brother lived. Uh, Carol Wojtyla at that point lost his mother, his father, and his brother. 
And in a kind of a really sad episode, a friend said that he was weeping, and he and he said, "I'm all alone. I'm all alone. And my my mother's gone. My father's gone. My brother's gone. I'm all alone." And and you know, for him, what he turned to there, much like Ronald Reagan did with when he couldn't rely on his kind of earthly father, um, he turned to his heavenly father, and that's mm-hmm. where he found his his sustenance. That's mm-hmm. what kept going. Yeah. So, yeah. Paul, these these two men um, sharing these experiences, they they wanted to together confront what they knew to be the great evil of the 20th century, which was Soviet communism. That's right, and that was. They up uh, so about a year after they were both shot, they met with one another at the Vatican in June 1982, and and it was there that they said to one another, confided to one another. There's no one else in the room, but we know what they say because what they said because they told close aides after, and I, and I actually interviewed some of those close aides, but they said to one another that they believed that their lives had been spared by God. For the, for the special, specific purpose, the divine purpose, the DP, the divine plan, as mm-hmm. Reagan called it. Reagan actually abbreviated it for the larger purpose of taking on and defeating atheistic Soviet communism. So they, that was a meeting at the Vatican, June 1982, and the two of them resolved at that point to doing what they could among themselves and their respective teams at the, at the White House and the Vatican to accomplishing that goal. And they did it. They did it. Wow. All right. <clears throat> I have a question now because it uh, it seems, Paul, that um, today the the Marxist interest or movement, they, they want to see their political agenda enacted um, not because that they think it's evil. They want to see it enacted because they think it's good. So w- what has happened and how did we get there? Well, that's a good question, and you, know, you and I have talked about this before. I think it comes down to the fact, Bill, that ever since the collapse of communism, the Berlin Wall in 1989, and, and, the, and the disintegration of the Soviet Union in 1991, and by the way, it really pretty much ended on Christmas Day, December 25th, 1991. I find that profound, because you know, here was a, an atheistic empire, as Reagan called it, an evil empire, that even banned Christmas of, of, of all of all things, but ever since then, for the past thirty years, we have not taught this stuff. We have not taught the lessons of the Cold War, and we haven't taught people not only that communism is evil. I mean, we haven't even ta- taught them that it causes death and destruction and despair and poverty. And and I've watched this very carefully over the years, and I've I've been saying you know we're going to reap what we're sowing, right? You know, we we got we've we've got to teach young people these lessons. We've got to teach this. We've got to teach it. We're not teaching it. We're not teaching it. And here we are now in 2021, and there are so many troubling surveys of young people praising communism, or you know the, the or or socialism, saying that they prefer socialism over capitalism. And, Socialism, according to Marxist Leninist theory, is the final transitionary step to full-blown communism. I mean, the USSR was the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. So we, you know, we have not taught those lessons, and now here we are, where so many young people not only don't see communism as evil, but it actually sounds kind of cool, 
right? Like, you know, that cool guy, Che Cabrera, you know, he's pretty cool looking, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, wasn't there an article not that long ago in the, in, in the New York Times uh, talking about the celebration of the of communism? Oh, yeah, all the time. In fact, the, the Times has been terrible on, on, on the subject. And, you know, things that how there's a, an article, I think I wrote it probably about a year or two ago, on how communism is good for women, right? In, include, including in China, right? Uh, you know, people have better sex under communism. Well, mm-hmm. they try everything, Europe. don't they? <laughs> they really do. <laughs> I mean, they're getting 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 pretty creative there. I I remember that one. A guy emailed me and said that he said, you know, um, in kind of slight defense of that article, I I was actually I I worked at the Berlin Wall for the U.S. military. I was a, in in the in the 1970s, 1980s, and. And um, after dark, all the electricity went off, all the lights went off. There's probably really nothing else to do. So, so may, maybe they're right. Maybe they did. Maybe they did have more sex under communism. There's nothing else to do. <laughs> oh, it's uh, your Times got that one right. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. So the place where you teach, I mean, you teach it all the time. Uh, but how many of the universities across the U.S. are talking about the the perils of communism? Well, very few, I think, and or or at the very least, it's not being you know, kind of kind of systemically taught, right, or intentionally taught. I mean, I imagine there's you know, hopefully you know, some good professors who maybe hit it or hit it properly, but it, you know, mostly in academia, what you learn about communism is you kind of learn a, a sort of anti or anti anti communism. Richard Pipes used to talk about this. The what great is that? Heart- the great Harvard Harvard Sovietologist, and that is that that they oppose the anti-communists. So they look at people, you know, like me, um, like uh, like a Joe McCarthy, for instance, right? So they'll focus on the Cold War and they'll say, "Ah, here's what we need to learn about the Cold War. We need to know about these bad guys like Joe McCarthy, who saw red under every bed." Right, who persecuted these people in Hollywood. The real threat of the Cold War was the loss of American civil liberties at home, right? The blacklist, right? Mm-hmm. That that kind of thing. And and you know, even, you you would hope that even if they said that, they would at least say, All right, now let me tell you about him. having said that, here's a far worse Joe than Joe McCarthy. Here's a guy named Joe Stalin. Okay? You know, let me tell you now about Joe Stalin. Right, I might not like what McCarthy did, but that's nothing compared to what Stalin did. But I, I but I, I don't know that they do that. It's, it, 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 you probably have to find one of the few kind of solidly Christian conservative colleges in the country, you know, like a Grove City, like a Hillsdale, you know, Liberty Regent, Thomas Aquinas, Franciscan, some colleges like that, where where. This is much more intentionally a part of what's taught. Mm-hmm. And when we, we teach Western Civ, we teach the history of the, tw- of, of, of the 20th century, and part of the curriculum is Alexander Solzhenitsyn, right? Uh, Whitaker Chambers. So we, we, we want our young people to make sure that if they leave here, they're going to know this. They're going to know that history. Paul, is the number almost just too big? I mean, if... 721 people died from communism. We might talk about it, but when you get upwards of 100 million people, that, that number is so big. How do you even start to process that? Well, that's right. And here I'll quote Stalin of all things, right? The death of a single individual is a tragedy. 
the death of a million is a statistic. Yeah, there you go. And and that and that's that's kind of what has happened. But 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 I, when I speak on this, I'll try to put it into perspective. I'll say over a hundred over a hundred million dead from communism in the twentieth century. What does that mean? Well, take all the deaths in World War One and World War Two, combine them, right? Double them. Wow. You know, now you're getting close to the figure of, of how many people communism killed. You know, look at all the people killed by the influenza epidemic that I mentioned a few minutes ago. Uh, around the world, you know, upwards of 20, 60 million people, right? Ronald Reagan even said this. He, he said, communism, you got to find diseases to, to, to get to the sort of level of death. And, and, and then Reagan went further. He said, it's not just a disease. It's a form of insanity, and what he meant by that was that, that people would even pursue something so destructive. And when you actually read the Communist Manifesto and the writings of Marx and Engels, and you and I talked about this when we talked about my book, The Devil and Karl Marx, uh, you see some really diabolical, ugly stuff. And, and above all, it's just very clear that it, it can't work. I mean, abolition of private property Who's going to even try to do that? You're going to have you're going to have an absolute you're going to have bloodshed on your hands if you try to do that. Yeah. So we just have about a minute left or two. I'm curious what you think about uh, Ron's son Ronnie, who is really a, quite an outspoken atheist, and he yeah. uh, you know he does right. these uh, these PSAs. Uh, for the separation of church and state, and he he kind of ends it with this smug. I, I'm Ron Ron Reagan, a lifelong atheist, and no, I'm not afraid of burning in hell. Wow, wow, yeah, that's really sad. I'll tell you, that would really upset his father. Oh, would it ever? It really would. And I tell a story in God and Ronald Reagan about, and it's from Ron, and and he talks about the day that. His father was out in the driveway on a Sunday, beeping the horn, and and uh, to to go to church. And Ron just sat there on his bed. And finally, his dad came in. And Ronald Reagan, as a father, as a husband, was just like he was as a person, kind of happy-go-lucky. And, and he said, "Hey, Skipper." He called him Skipper, right? Mm-hmm. He said, "Come on, it's time to go to church." And he looked at his father and he said, "Dad, I'm not going. I don't believe in it, and I'm not going." And he said his father just gave him this look. He didn't yell at him, didn't call him names, didn't drag him off the bed. He was almost baffled, confounded, because when his mother, Ronald Reagan's mother, Nell, said, hey, Dutch, it's time to go to church. I mean, you know, he'd, he'd be running out the door in front of her. Mm-hmm. He was excited to go. And, and Ron, Ron felt bad about it. when he, I saw him tell the story on video. He said, I could tell it really upset him. And he said, my sister and I really kind of freaked out my dad. He didn't even know how to deal with us wow. <laughs> and what we were thinking yeah. about. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he'd be very upset about this. Very, yeah. very upset. Paul, appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks for uh, for sharing your story about uh, the Pope and a president. Anytime, Bill. Thanks, Anytime. Paul. Happy to join you. Thank Thanks. you so much. Dr. Paul Kengor has been my guest. And, of course, his book is A Pope and a President, John Paul II, Ronald Reagan, and the Extraordinary Untold Story of the 20th Century. Take a short break. When we come back, John Elmore will be joining me. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arnold. 
is the stress level in your life is it high is it higher than usual you know in the middle of a pandemic and with lots of stress that just results from the world being a different place and isolation and you get a lot of that and that's going to create some unhealthy and very challenging circumstances for you which could cause for a rise in self-medication which are things that you do to try to change how you feel and that can turn into addiction. It can turn into uh, habits that are destructive. And that is, I promise, uh, the last thing you want. So my guest today is uh, John Elmore, and he's uh, going to give us help us through a little self-diagnostic on the topic today. He is the Senior Director of Pastoral Care and Director of Regeneration. It's the world's largest weekly recovery program at Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. He's also author of Freedom Starts Today, Overcoming Struggles and Addictions One Day at a Time. John, welcome. Phil, great to be with you. So thankful. Yeah, so nice to hear your voice once again. For those of you who have just uh, maybe never heard Real Recovery on Weekends, which is the show I do on the weekends, John was my guest recently, and it was a spectacular show and an amazing testimony, John. It's uh, really, really quite amazing. What well, God's love done what in your life. Do. Joy to be with you again. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, all the forced isolation and all the things that is happening right now in the world. I think the topic of addiction has come to the forefront, certainly in the media and probably in a lot of churches, because it is something that is difficult to address and challenging to talk about. Absolutely. So, psychologists and counselors are saying there is a tsunami coming of mental health and addiction because of COVID-19, the shelter in place that happened, all the isolation, divorce rates are up, suicide has tripled in the last 10 years, self-harm is, it's just like uh, this incredible epidemic, not to mention the opioid crisis that we find ourselves in, the legalization of drugs, which is a really failed experiment, um, the pornography crisis that we have that's happening in an early and earlier age. And so in, in a really good way, Addiction has come to the forefront. Mm -hmm. It's in every media outlet. It's a conversation among friends and family where it previously hasn't. It's affecting everyone. If it's not affecting you, it's affecting someone that you know and love. And so now is a really apt time to have honest conversations. But what people are left with often is like, okay, so what do we do? We just ship them off to rehab. Like that's going to cost $30,000 for one month. Like we don't have that. And, um, People have getting, been getting freedom in Christ for the last 2,000 years, and they will continue to. And so I think we have some really helpful and free handholds that are biblically based that are going to help people walk out of addiction. Uh, very, very well said. Now, I mean, we can all admit that every day we want to change the way we feel, uh, even if it means I want to get up from this one sitting position and go for a walk and or I want to eat a bowl of ice cream because I just want to change the way I feel. Right? Fair? Yes. yes, All right. Absolutely. Some of that is constructive. Some of it can be very destructive. And then when you reach for something that is self-medicating, that will take you um, to a place where you're getting uh, high or you're you're getting your brain into a very uh, flooded state, uh, we're in trouble. So maybe we can talk about this uh, article that... 
uh, is in Relevant Magazine that you wrote, and it's a way that we can kind of do a self-diagnostic, and there are kind of uh, 10 easy-to-implement tactics that can be healing and addiction-killing. I like that. Yeah, so, in, in you know, some people might, addiction-killing, wow, that sounds severe. It's biblical language. Colossians 3 says, put to death your earthly desires. It's this execution of it, not a tolerance of it, not a minimization of it, not a resolution around it, but a putting to death. And that happens by the Spirit. So yeah, to walk through these in brief, and, and please like interject um, however best. But now I'm going to make fir- you talk straight for the next 20 minutes. All right, great. So the, the first is um, to take an online assessment. This can be a really helpful thing. So in 1 John 1, 8, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And oftentimes when I say the word addiction or sin struggle, people think, oh, you need to talk to my uncle. You need to talk to my roommate. I've got a coworker who's in deep. And it's like, no, no. The Bible says you have something in your life that you go to, um, your idol, your ditch. And it may be exercise. It may be that body image. It may be something seemingly innocuous that can be that, that's gripped your heart. Um, and so whatever it may be, we all have our thing that we run to other than Jesus. And so it's important that we recognize that. Now, here's the thing. It says, uh, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. I, I, when I was, a, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I drank hard for 12 years until the age of 30 and um, life just came falling apart. And at that time, so my drinking friends had told me, that, I mean, these are guys that I was out with every night. They would pull me aside and say, we think you might have a drinking problem. I have three doctors tell me, if you keep drinking like this, you will die. And then I also had my family uh, sharing concerns like, hey, we think you may have an issue with alcohol. After all of that, I still did not believe that I had a problem with alcohol. So this is after, I mean, years. In college, people were telling me I had a drinking problem. And then finally, I Googled, how do you know you're an alcoholic? And the answer is, well, if your doctors, your, your drinking friends and your family tell you, probably. But I took this assessment. I just took, it was 12 questions. It took me three minutes. And after years of people telling me I had a drinking problem, within two hours of taking that assessment, I was in my first recovery meeting because I was hit with objective, not subjective. We think you might have a drinking problem. I was hit with objective data like, um, hey, based on your responses, you most likely have a problem with drinking. And that like really helped me. And it's just so helpful. So there's gambling diagnostics. There's food addiction diagnostics. There's body image. There's social media. There's gaming. Um, all the different things. You can just Google like, how do I know I may have an issue with this? And there will be these diagnostics that pop up that are very, very helpful in that self-admission, which seems funny. It's like, well, I confess to God. I maybe confess to someone else. If I'm really being faithful to walk out the scriptures, why would I need to confess to myself? Because um, Thomas Watson, who is a Puritan theologian and writer, he writes in the Doctrine of Repentance, he says one of the essential ingredients for repentance is sorrow for your sin. And you can't be sorrowful about that which you won't even see for yourself. So that's key. Yeah. A listener just jumped in and said, if Jesus is not your addiction, you have an addiction problem. (laughs) Well put. I like that. Another listener said, I'm not sure... um, but I need advice on how to start uh, doing something to help my son who has a drug addiction. I'm a desperate mom. Mm, yes, that's so good. So um, for that, I would point people to, you can, you can go to watermark.org. We have a ministry called The Prodigal, like The Prodigal Son. Mm-hmm. And 
There are teachings and testimonies there. It's how to care for a loved one without getting pulled into all of the crazy. Because you will, out of your love and compassion for that person, you can start to try to control and manage, and you yourself will go crazy. I mean, we can't change ourselves, let alone someone else, whether it's your son, your spouse, whoever. So watermark.org, look for the prodigal. You can search that. All the teachings will come up. That can be really helpful. And in addition to that, I would point them to this, what we're doing right now, like to help them walk through like, okay, these are the these are the simple, free easily, readily accessible to everyone handholds to climb out of addiction. And then also, this is not self-promotion. I would point them to Freedom Starts Today, which is this uh, book on how to overcome struggles and addictions one day at a time. People can't, when you're into your addiction so deep, if her son's a drug addict, and it's been for years, maybe someone's been a porn addict for three decades, they can't conceive of a life without that addiction. You've become accustomed to it. At first, it became as a sinful addiction. Now, because of endorphins and dopamine and everything your brain is releasing when you get that, whether it's, uh, you know, the high, the orgasm, whatever it is, um, your body is now has grown a physiological addiction as well. And so you're just like battling this thing. And you're like, how can I overcome this Mount Everest of addiction? I can't imagine quitting for life. And I would say, hey, don't like don't imagine quitting for life. Quit today. Could you go one day, 24 hours without that thing by God's strength. And, and people say, yeah, I could, I could go one day. And so you make a proactive decision. And that's, uh, that's number 10 of this, this list. How do you get free from addiction? Mm-hmm. Let's uh, back up just a little bit because the list is good. Tell someone who loves you. You got some good scripture to go along with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I tell people all the time, I'm like, look, if you want to be forgiven of your sins, you confess to Jesus. That's First John 1, 9. If you say, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how you're forgiven. Now, if you want to be free, if you want to be healed, that's totally different. For that, the Bible prescribes, James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another, this reciprocal confession, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That's God's instruction. Like, you want to be, you want to be forgiven? Confess to me. You want to be free? You want to be healed? You confess to each other, and then you pray for each other. You don't condemn each other. You don't shame each other. Um, you don't you don't hard rail each other. You pray for each other, and then that brings God into the fight. Now, there's an early church father, Gregory of Nationatius. He said, confession is salve, a salve for the wounded soul. It's like there is this wound from sin, and he says confession is the salve, the balm, the healing agent from that. And so that's what you do. You've got to you've got to bring others into it, which is an incredible source of comfort. It's a source of prayer. It's a source of accountability. It's a source of companionship that you're not alone. It's just this gift that the Lord has given us, the body of Christ. It's First Corinthians 12, where it says if a, if a body part says, ah, I don't need that part, then it ceases to be. It's It's been amputated and it dies. It shrivels. Instead, we stay connected. Hebrews 3.13, it says, encourage one another daily so you don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we need that daily companionship in the body of Christ. And so you've got to tell someone you love. I was so ashamed of my alcoholism, which kept me in my shame. As soon as I told my family, my roommate, my friends, I was met with the most incredible encouragement and love and support. People have got to tell someone you love. That's not my idea. That's God's instruction. Mm -hmm. John, let's talk about focusing on the root, not the fruit. Yes. So here I would say um, there's this key verse 
And it's 2 Corinthians 7.10. And it says that godly sorrow leads to repentance, but worldly sorrow leads to death. Mm-hmm. And so, so often people are just looking to like, I, you know, porn's my problem. I've just got to get rid of porn. And I think what God is after is like, no, you're, you're, there, there is some aching and longing deep within and you're running to that thing. Like your caller said, like, unless you're addicted to Jesus, you're going to be addicted to something else. And it's true. And that's not just a once and for all. It's every single day. And so Paul wrote to the Galatians and he said, look, you're, you're trying to follow rules. He said, let me ask you one question. Who has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians? Um, did you receive the spirit by hearing or by the, the law, basically, by following the commands? And, and it was a rhetorical question. He's like, I know it was by the Spirit. This wasn't by following rules, which is what um, when we focus on the fruit, like, oh, I just got to I need to stop doing X, Y and Z. He's like, no, you've got to look at the heart because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks like you're doing this because of something within you. Calvin said the the heart is an idol factory. And so we've got to look deeper within. And here's what I tell people is that you were saved as uh, by Jesus as the spirit brought regeneration, made you born again. And what that Galatians 2, uh, 3, 2 and 3 passage says, it says you were saved by the spirit and you will be sanctified by the spirit. So it's ongoing. And he is the one who changed our heart initially and will continue to sanctify. One of the spirit's main roles is he is the sanctifier. Um, yeah, it's uh, he's said to be in John Owen's work, the mortification of sin He talks about the negative work of the Spirit, which sounds crazy. Like, why would you say anything is negative that the Spirit does? That's crazy. That sounds blasphemous. Well, the positive work is the bearing of fruit that he does in the believer's life. The negative work is that he kills sin, and he can only do that when when it's killing the root. So, you know, Romans 13, 14, clothe yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ and do not gratify. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. All right, let me take a little break. John Elmore is my guest, and we are doing a little self-diagnostic. If you maybe are in a position where you're suffering from an addiction or maybe you don't know you have one, this would be a good way to, uh, to ask yourself some tough questions. We'll continue with John in just a minute. my guest, Senior Director of Pastoral Care and Director of Regeneration, the world's largest weekly recovery program at Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. And he's author of Freedom Starts Today, Overcoming Struggles and Addictions One Day at a Time. All right, John, let's get back to some of this uh, self-diagnostic. Let's uh, chat a little bit about um, only the full resist the pull. What does that mean? Yeah, so... Jesus said he's the bread of life. I tell people this, like if, if my wife was, uh, you know, right now I'm, I'm going to be heading home soon and she's like, Hey, I've prepared this incredible meal. got you steak, sweet potato. It's going to be awesome. Whoa, what time is and, dinner? Yeah, I know. Right. And yeah. if I pull her on the way home, as I pass by McDonald's, Jack in the box, whatever. And I grab like this, you know, value meal, sugary, sweet drink. And I pound that I'm not going to, when I get home, I'm not going to want to eat the the good, healthy, because I've filled myself with junk. Mm-hmm. And then 
Conversely, the same is true. Like, like with a junk food addict, if you tell someone, hey, you've just got to stop eating junk food, like you know that stuff's bad for you, just stop eating it. Well, what would happen is they would starve to death. The answer is not to stop eating what they're eating. The answer is to change what they're eating. So if they fill themselves on grilled chicken and broccoli and they're just like eating well and they're so full on the good food, then when the bad food is presented in front of them and they're, they're going to have that power to drive by the McDonald's, the Jack and Box, the whatever, you know, because they're not going to be pulled to it because they will be full. Their appetite will be satiated. And the same is so true all the more in our spiritual lives is that it's Galatians 5.16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Like when we are full and satiated and abiding in Christ, He becomes our resistance against the temptations and pulls of this world and of the flesh and of the wiles of Satan. Like it's just, there is no other way. And so um, otherwise, you are going to still have that hunger, that longing of the flesh it says that elsewhere in Galatians 5 that the spirit and the flesh are at war with one another daily. And so you've got to satiate your spirit by things of the spirit. Otherwise, you're going to be pulled off sides by the flesh. So only the full on the spirit, the word, Jesus, worship uh, will resist the pull. Mm-hmm. All right, John, let's uh, talk about how important it is to remove access. Nobody gets sober yeah. when, if there's booze in the house. Yeah, I mean, I just like... As I think about my own life, it's like as I was looking to get sober and free from alcoholism, um, I was I was doing that. I was removing access, getting rid of I mean the handles of Jack Daniels and Scotch and any weed that I still had or pills that would sedate me in any form. When when the Lord sends the Israelites into the Promised Land, He gives these crazy instructions and and He tells them to raise R A Z E, not. R-A-I-S-E. He's telling them, like, I want you to just, like, destroy everything in the promised land. And he tells them why. Because when you get there, your hearts will drift back to that which I have freed you from. I brought you out of Egypt where you were slaves. And I brought you into this promised land of freedom. And if you don't eradicate that which is there, you're going to be pulled to it. You're going to be pulled back to the ways of the world. And so as they did, literally, geographically into the promised land, we now do supernaturally and spiritually in our own lives. And this is where Jesus is like, hey, if your hand leads you to into sin, cut it off. Um, and so we're looking to remove access from those things. And so what that practi- practically may look like, and I tell people all the time, like, hey, if you and your girlfriend or boyfriend are falling into sexual sin, to remove access is to break up. Like if you guys are leading each other into sin, you can't have that, at least not right now until you're both healthy. You need to first pursue God. That made me look look like deleting the number of a drug dealer. It may look like um, getting rid of things in the house. It may look like not having internet or a smartphone. If you're given to porn, it may look like taking the door off your bedroom and the bathroom because of a struggle with masturbation. It may look like not keeping certain foods in the house. My wife said to me recently, she's like, you know what? I think it's just not good for us to have ice cream in the house. Because for me, one scoop of ice cream as just an appetizer until I have six, until I <laughs> stick on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've got to remove that excess. And people say, oh, that's legalism. And I'm like, no, that's wisdom. Mm-hmm. Like Scripture says, everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial, and I will not be mastered by anything. Mm-hmm. John, let's talk about uh, disciplines, creating habits over time. Habits will become new disciplines. They don't happen 
in uh, one day. They usually happen over three weeks. If you do them every day, you've got a new little habit going. Absolutely. And so discipline begets discipline and lack thereof begets lack thereof. It's just this like, it's Newton's laws. An object at rest tends to stay at rest. An object in motion tends to stay in motion. And so we've got to set this. And, and guess what? They're called spiritual disciplines. They're not called spiritual pleasures because they're hard. It is contrary to the flesh to do what you're not uh, physically, naturally prone to, but it is a spiritual discipline. And I would say these are both um, vertical and horizontal. They're the spiritual disciplines that are vertical, which is prayer, fasting, meditation. And, and I'm not talking about like emptying your mind Eastern meditation. I'm talking about filling your mind with the truths of God, um, daily Bible reading and those devotionals and journaling prayers and all those things. Those would be vertical. There's the horizontal uh, disciplines, which is confession of sin and loving one another and serving each other and encouraging one another. And we often neglect those. We're like, ah, oh, it's just me and Jesus, vertical disciplines. And um, they're just really important. And so um, uh, for me, when I was coming out of alcoholism, it wasn't just, oh, I need to stop drinking. It's like, what do I need to start? Because all of a sudden, I had a lot of free time on my hands. And, I, and so it looked like running daily and in the Bible daily and spending time with other believers daily. And I changed my music, um, I, you know, because I needed worship music and be filled with truths. And so there were all these disciplines that I needed structure to help me walk out of that slavery to sin. Wow. I appreciate that. And I, I thank you for sharing that aspect of your life and how you had to kind of re-engineer a lot of things that was going on because it simply wasn't productive or healthy. Yeah. I, I remember I had a friend who in that time, uh, drinking buddy said, Hey, look, you're just going through a hard time. Like anybody who went through what you went through would have drank a little, like you don't have to be so extreme. And you know, when I read the Bible, it's pretty extreme in its treatment of the flesh and sin and Satan and temptation regarding following Jesus. He says, take up your cross and follow me daily. So there's this daily death. Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And guess what? In that death, there is a new life. It's the best thing in the world. He didn't come to give us a better life. He came to give us a new life, a full abundant life. And that only happens when the old self dies and dies daily. Mm -hmm. What if I have an addiction to a negative attitude or an addiction to being a feeling like I'm a victim? Yeah, so uh, those would probably be two different things. Um, one, for the addiction to the negative attitude, I think Paul gives us great instruction in Philippians 4 where he says, be anxious for nothing. You know, we all know this, present with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, like it will be inexplicable to the world. How do you have peace right now? And then he says this incredible thing. He says, whatever is pure, holy, praiseworthy, like fill your mind, dwell on these things, dwell on them. And so uh, my wife struggles with OCD. And so I, I have this little thing that I found in a gift shop. It says, don't believe everything you think because she'll have these horrible thoughts that kind of flood her mind. She can't shake it. And I realized, you know what? That's incomplete. It, it, it is. Don't believe everything you think because we're going to have crazy thoughts from the flesh, from Satan, from the world, but that's incomplete. And so I took out a Sharpie and I wrote on the backside, but believe every or, or think everything you believe. So don't believe everything you think. You're going to have crazy thoughts, but you should think everything you believe. Mm -hmm. And so that you're filling your mind with the truths of God. And we know from Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. 
there will be this transformation, this metanoia, mm-hmm. this change of soul and mind by that. And, yeah. and then as far as victim, I don't know, is that, Bill, is there time to go into There's victim? There's probably not time to right now, because yeah. I want to ask you to do one more thing. Just because sure. of the nature of the conversation, John, I have a feeling we opened up a little bit of wounds and had a little bit of... Um, uh, people with some feelings that need to be addressed right now. Would you close us out in prayer? We've only got a minute left. Absolutely. Lord Jesus, uh, you know the hearts of every soul that's listening right now and thinking, like, what do I do? What's next? They're scared. And Lord, you came to purchase our salvation and not only that, our sanctification by the Spirit. And so, Lord, you promise, you promise in your word that the work that you have begun, you will complete until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, do what you only you do, those you predestined, you will see all the way through glorification. And I pray that they would take one of these next steps or maybe pick up Freedom Struts today or whatever it is to get that handhold, tell someone they love, and that you would walk them out into the promised land of freedom that is found in Christ alone. Give them the boldness, give them the courage, give them what they need, food for their soul, that they would resist the pull. We love you, Lord. We know that you will do it. In Jesus' almighty name, Mm -hmm. amen. John, thank you so much. I'll have you back on. We'll talk about your book that we didn't really get to today, Freedom Starts Today, Overcoming Struggles and Addictions One Day at a Time. I wanted to do this uh, little diagnostic we covered today, and I appreciate that. We'll get you back on. Thank you, Bill. I love what you're doing. You bet. Thanks so much. John Elmore's been my guest. Take a little break. When we come back, uh, it's Wednesday, so prayer series is up next. Peter Kapsner. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.